Today, the state legislature brought down the gavel on this year's legislative session. After 60 days of lawmaking, Democrats and Republicans have passed more than 200 bills. They will affect all of us in the coming months. Now the governor has to decide which of those measures she will sign and what gets vetoed. She has 20 days to do that. I'm Damian Willis, and this is the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. This week, we're talking to Melanie Majors, the executive director of the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government. FOG was created because citizens have a fundamental right to know what your government is doing. And that includes the right to inspect public records and the right to attend public meetings. FOG works to make sure these rights are strong and available to everyone. Sometimes this means assisting individual citizens who are denied information by local or state governments. It also means strengthening and broadening freedom of information laws through legislation and litigation. And it means educating the public and public officials about the letter and spirit of sunshine laws. With New Mexico's 60-day legislative session having just wrapped up, several bills of interest were winding their way through the legislature, bills that would have a tremendous impact on transparency and the state's Inspection of Public Records Act. For instance, Senate Bill 63, sponsored by Senator Bill Tolman, an Albuquerque Democrat, would shield the names of applicants of high-level government jobs, including city managers, school superintendents, and police chiefs. Tallman contended the bill's passage would attract a better pool of candidates. We'll talk to Melanie about Fogg's opposition to that bill and what became of it. Another proposed bill, House Bill 232, would revise New Mexico's public records law to exempt from release certain cybersecurity records and law enforcement video of death notifications, video including nudity, or certain other images. It also would require people requesting law enforcement video to include either a police report number, computer dispatch number, or a date range. A request using a date range would also need to include the officer's name, time, or location of what the requester is seeking. While Fogg was involved in discussions surrounding the bill, the organization did not formally oppose the changes. This week, I'm grateful to have Melanie joining us. Melanie, thanks for making time to join us today. Um, Damien, thank you. Um, we always like to reach out to folks here at FOG. That's part of our mission is to advocate, educate, and litigate on behalf of the public. And we really welcome any opportunity to get to talk with folks all throughout the state. Let's kind of start with a 30,000 foot view of what has happened during this year's 60 day session of the legislature. Do you want to share some of the bills and uh, things that were floated that you were watching? 
Well, I, I appreciate that. And and sure, we'd like to talk about that a little bit. Um, we were watching several items this year from the legislature, everything from changes, new exceptions to the Inspection of Public Records Act, to changes um, that were voted to limit access to public buildings, to opening up the um, budget process, some things that we thought were pretty egregious. Um, let me start with one bill that we thought was a really big obstruction to transparency, and that was Senate Bill 63. It was introduced in the legislature by Senator Bill Talman. He's an Albuquerque Democrat. And this was the first, the third year that Senator Talman has introduced this bill. It's actually the third session. Um, he first introduced it, as far as I know, in 2019. And we believe that this bill would make the hiring process for the most important offices in the state, think city manager, superintendent of schools, police chiefs, et cetera, secretive. We think that that would. University presidents and uh, athletic directors and things like that, right? Well, actually, there's a different exception under under the uh, Inspection of Public Records Act four university presidents before they can be hired. Um, five candidates, the five finalists must be made public. The names of the five finalists must be made. And so, made. so this didn't seek to change that specific no. exception. It's thought to make another exception for a lot of other public offices. And, you know, one of our big concerns is these jobs encompass lots of public money, many, many public employees. And we just believe that the public has the right to know who these people are in the hiring process, not at the end when they announce, oh, we have an excellent candidate. And one of the the um, arguments against this uh, for this bill was that um, closing the process would improve the caliber of the applicants. And just just for an example, just recently in Rio Communities, a small town south of Albuquerque in in southern Valencia County, and they advertised for a police chief and they got 11 applications. So that doesn't fly that they're not getting quality folks. And many of these people were police chiefs in other areas. They were captains or sergeants in other areas, and they thought that a move to this other town and a different job would be a good thing. We did our own research and we couldn't really find anything other than occasional anecdotal opinions that closing off the process results in better applicant pools. We know that uh, we did some research around the country. The bill sponsor kept saying there were very, very few states who still um, opened up the process. Well, we found that there were 15 states and some of the biggest in the nation, California, Florida, New York, all have open processes for these top jobs. And we figure New Mexico shouldn't go backwards. We should continue to go forward. And we were very happy that that bill did not get out of committee and did not make it to the to the House floor and did not make it to the governor's desk. Were there any other bills that you were watching as this process kind of moved forward? through the session? We had our eyes on several bills. One of the other ones that we spent a lot of time on, and if I had to actually total up the man hours, person hours from all of our volunteer board members, um, staff, and other folks, we probably spent 40 hours just working with um, Bill 
sponsors on House Bill 232. House Bill 232 uh, introduces several new exceptions to the public, the Inspection of Public Records Act. And the bill in the beginning was was very egregious. And the bill sponsors were willing to work with FOG. And while we still don't love it entirely, it was a much better proposal than it would have been had it gone through without our wordsmithing and changes and suggestions and without the sponsors opening up and being willing to to look at the bill and make make the necessary changes so that we could um, all move forward. We could live with some of the changes that are in it. If we don't like it, you know, the option is always to go back and see if you can make a change at the end. We're still waiting to see if the governor is going to pass that piece of legislation. You know, Melanie, it really was a little bit curious to me, and I should probably note that I am also a former records custodian for the uh, third judicial DA's office and also Las Cruces public schools. But it was a little bit curious to me that Fogg didn't really speak out against 232 publicly, the body cam bill. Can you kind of take us inside the decision making there? Well, as I said, we sat down with our own uh, group of uh, volunteer attorneys. We sat down with some other folks who were from media outlets, and we knew that the powers that be wanted to move this bill forward because of some of the things that were in it. And sometimes government governing is compromising. And we did not feel we compromised on anything that limited the public's right to know. We felt that some of the things that we, of course, would have liked to see in this bill, not at all. But the things that we um, were able to compromise allows people to still view records, um, still look at video, but some of the things that may be on video, they don't get copies of if there's nudity on a video because of the situation where the the body cam video was taken, that is no longer um, releasable. You can, you can view it. You cannot get a copy of it. Um, And we felt just some of those things we could live with it because people still can inspect. They just can't get their own copy. Right. And that's one of the bigger changes. And that, that does seem sensible if police are walking into a crime scene and there is nudity, journalists can inspect it and describe it, but they're not going to republish it. And and that's where some of the concern was. Um, Historically, you know, I know, um, both having worked with um, media outlets in in our careers, that that um, you don't have gruesome pictures, you don't show nudity in a in a paper or in a television newscast that is in someone's home at dinner time. You know, there's FCC rules that you live with, and there were and for many years in the, in the newspaper business, there were rules that the postal service had on us. So we didn't publish nudity. We didn't publish a lot of things, and that still holds true for many, many, many media outlets. But other folks may request the video, and they have sites on YouTube or other. Uh, webcasts, etc. And they were the folks who were replaying this video. And so we think that the public is still protected because the media does have access to this information. It just won't be fodder for people who want to make money off of this right. information. There, there, 
you've mentioned a few of them, but there were a couple of bills in each chamber that got tongues wagging in journalism circles because we're always a little leery when lawmakers start trying to add more exemptions, more exceptions to the state's Inspection of Public Records Act. Would you like to speak to those Melanie? Well, you know, there were more than a thousand bills introduced this legislative session, and I don't know about you, but that's a lot of information I, to keep I track of. I can't keep up, but yeah, I, I, it's impossible to keep up with. And we, we go up there frequently. We um, have established some really good relationships with um, many of the legislators themselves. You know, there's a lot of legislators in Santa Fe who want to do the right thing. They are formidable when they need to be. They are knowledgeable. They understand the Inspection of Public Records Act. And I literally had senators and representatives reach out to me and say, are you going to be testifying on this bill? Are you going to be looking at this bill? There's a section of this bill we we think that is not, you know, in compliance with the Inspection of Public Records Act. And so to point out individual bills all along, but there were several bills that legislators themselves took out language that would have added new exceptions to the Inspection of Public Records Act. Several bills they actually required um, task forces, which are not required under the open meetings law to open up to the public. And we thought that was a great leap forward. By, by these these folks that are elected in, in doing the people's work in Santa Fe. So have to give them kudos in that respect. And as I said, more than a thousand bills, it's really tough to keep an eye on them. And there were certain bills we looked at. We watched a bill um, concerning uh, creating school board, the, national, the statewide school boards again. We were very conscious of the bills opening up CYFD. We testified on several of those bills. Yeah. Um, we supported Senate Bill 153, sponsored by Senator Nancy Rodriguez, so that the names of the sponsors of specific items and supplemental appropriations, House Bill 2, would be public, similar to what was passed two years ago that puts um, appropriations on a statewide portal. So we thought those were things that were important and things that we could look look at. Did we get 100% of what we wanted? No, that never happens. Um, <laughs> were we happy? Well, let's just say that we were extremely happy when Saturday came and um, debate was over, voting was over, and now it's just up to the governor. Yeah, it's funny because IPRA, the Inspection of Public Records Act, hasn't really been updated uh, in about 30 years, right? That's right. Um, uh, IPRA was actually passed as a law in 1978. It um, covers a lot of things. And, and granted, when I was first reporting, the exceptions were much less than they are now. Right. More, and more then, um, actually, if, if push comes to shove, one of my board members was actually one of the authors of the revision that was made in 1995. And we had a retreat last fall in fog. And one of the things that we did talk about was that IPRA, because of things that have changed with um, electronic records, information technology, those kinds of things, we understand that there's some some changes needed to IPRA. One of the things that we actually proposed to several of our lawmakers was to have them introduce a memorial that they would set up a study group, a task force to look at IPRA and see where improvements could be made and 
other things moving forward. And unfortunately, that bill did not um, that, that that did not happen. But you have to plant the seed somewhere. And so we know that that sure. may be something that's coming further along. But as I said, one of my board members, he worked very hard on the revision in 95. And he actually walked us through a, a, a lesson on that when we had our retreat. And it was really, really informative. Do you get a sense from lawmakers that there may be somewhere not so far down the road an appetite to do that? Um, I'm not really sure if I get the sense from lawmakers, but, you know, one of the things that we operate is we operate a hotline. We receive hundreds of calls each year on the hotline, everything from how do I get a copy of a record to um, I, I can't get a, an agenda out of this this group that's holding a public meeting here. And one of the things that we know through all of this is that the sheer number of requests made by the public or their information has increased. And, you know, one of the things we were very hopeful about when the electronic explosion happened was that, oh, it'll make records easier. Well, it's done the opposite. Records are harder to get because you have to go through portals and you have to go through through databases, et cetera. So we think that there's probably some ways to make changes. What they are right now, I'm not sure. But I know that we had a meeting with the county clerks in January and they have legitimate concerns. Um, I have to uh, shout out to the folks down in Eddy County. They've had an increase in folks asking for public records. And so they have funded a new position in that um, community. And that's one of the things to keep in mind. This is not a, oh, we'll get around to it kind of a law. This has been a law since 1978. And there are real repercussions if the law is not followed. And just kind of pulling back the curtain on how FOG works, who answers those calls to the hotline? I do. <laughs> Melanie, Melanie does. We are a very bare bones organization. We get our funding from three main sources. One if, source is. If you can't have, answer it, then it goes to attorneys, right? If it moves up the up the block, if, if I can't answer it, and many of the questions I can answer. I had one the other day that someone had called and said, if the new law gets signed into to um, enacted by the governor and signed, if I have a pending request to look at video to, to inspect video, will the new law apply or the old one? And I had to reach out to my legal beagle and um, he said, <laughs> no, the, the new law will only apply to new requests made after the day the new law is enacted. Huh. And so I wasn't sure about that. I'm not an attorney, but I've been doing this long enough that I can probably check. I can recite chapter and verse out of the um, the guide for the inspection of public records. And I know you have been you have been on the stage or at the head of the class in a lot of OMA and IPRA meetings I've been to. So, yes, I agree. So I've got I've got a good handle on this. In terms of successes and disappointments, how do you in your role as the executive director of the Foundation for Open Government view this year's legislative session? You know, I think the jury's still out on that until we see what the governor's going to do and what actually crosses her desk and gets her signature. Um, legislative is The legislature is always hard. The, the folks work long hours, long days. And if people don't have a, a understanding of that, I, I, I challenge them to go up and spend a day at the legislature and, and see how hard 
many of these people are working. The part-time people that they hire, the temporary folks that work there that have done it for years, the turnaround they get on amendments and rewriting of bills and such. It's really a yeoman's task. And um, it's amazing to me that it happens every year and that it gets done and um, that things happen. And that doesn't mean I'm being a Pollyanna about the legislature. I know that there's still room for improvement, but I see improvement often happens in increments, not in overall um, giant steps. And we did see some incremental steps. Uh, some of the the consensus um, meetings between the House and the Senate were opened up, you know, several years ago. Fog really pushed hard to get video and webcasting of what was going on in the legislature. And boy, did that really come in handy during COVID when they couldn't meet in public. And I have to take credit for that. It was not something I did. It was one of my predecessors um, at Fog. But Fog led the way to make that push and make that happen. And had it not happened, I can only imagine what state the state would have been in during that time. So, yeah. There's already a a whole lot of concern kind of among citizens about the opacity specifically around the budgeting process, but in a lot of parts of state government. And so I think that the the work that Fogg has done is really crucial to opening that up to, to people who can't go to Santa Fe. And, you know, we still think that is one of the bigger areas that needs to have a crowbar uh, into that process, because even legislators themselves will say, I didn't get to see the budget until five minutes before we're supposed to vote on it. I, I, and that, I think that's- uh, Senator Bill Souls said something kind of like that. It might have been 12 hours, but it was like very short notice. I think he said something about it. I also think Senator Steinborn said something about it. And, um, you know, if if they're having issues with it, what hope does the public have with actually seeing what's in the budget and what's being determined? Um, because it's a lot of money and it's not the legislator's money. It's your money. It's my money. It's taxpayers money. And I always, I always think it's our money. We have a right to see where it's, where it's planning to be spent and where it's actually being spent. We spoke a little bit about SB 63, Senate bill 63. And I know fog was, strongly opposed to it that was the the bill that decreased transparency around government hiring practices can you do you want to speak a little more about about that about that particular bill well you know again it was one of those bills that that um really would have increased secrecy and you know it's the public's right to know how their government is being run And the more that there is transparency, the more opportunity there is for accountability. And we know that this push was on for more secrecy in the hiring process. We know it went through two Senate committees, one House committee, and then it just um, was overtaken by events. Uh, The the session was winding down. Um, There were some bills that really had to get through um, House Judiciary, and it never came up for comment again. The proposal would have added a new exemption to the States Act, and we had real issues with that, as I said. One of them is cronyism. If you don't know who's applying, you really don't know if there's a fix in. One of them is making sure it's a level playing field. 
how do we know that minorities, sure. that women, that people who um, identify as uh, not their birth gender, how do we know that there those folks were giving an, an equal footing in the application process. And we know from history that when you actually do pull the records and some of these folks are not given equal access. Um, Case in point, several years ago, the University of New Mexico president hired his son for a plum job. And when the records were requested to find out what his qualifications were of the people that applied for the job, his qualifications were the lowest of all. There were people with master's degree in the field. There were people who had 10 years of experience in the field. And this university president's son had no experience in the field, yet he was put into that job. He resigned it quickly after that. But the the public shouldn't have to go through that. The, the, the folks who do the hiring and all the work to get somebody onboarded shouldn't have to spend all that time, energy, and money when there's no need for that. And so that was one of the things that, you know, we had had issues with. We we know that we shouldn't have to rely on the, the uh, word of a public official that they've selected the best person for a high level job. We know that isn't always the case. And we know because we get to look at the records. Right. Was there any kind of partisan divide when it came to these transparency bills that you were able to discern during your time in Santa Fe and, you know, in the past, we've, conversations we've seen that. with lawmakers, yeah. you know, in the past, we've seen that, but this year, not so much, you know, lawmakers were weighing um, some other transparency issues. They wanted to look at moving uh, forward some bills about lobbying and making that public. They wanted to um, also look at, checking out um, some other things that would require lobbyists to report compensation. They were also um, looking at maybe another bill to have have lobbyists report um, what bills they're lobbying on. None of those move forward, but many of them had bipartisan support, which I think speaks volumes that maybe transparency is an issue that is not just a buzzword. Yeah, it seemed to me that this year, some of the biggest kind of hot button transparency issues were sponsored by Democrats, which seemed a little unusual, but uh, you've got a lot more experience in this than I do. Is that is that unusual? No, if it's so much unusual as maybe more a sign of the times. We did a, a study at FOG a couple of years ago where we literally surveyed every single candidate who was running for elected um, office in the in the legislature. And one of the questions that we asked were, were several of the questions we asked were focused on transparency and they were focused on transparency in the budget process, transparency in other bills, et cetera. And overwhelmingly, I want to say 72%, and I'm not entirely sure if that's the number. I have to look it up. But I think 72% of the respondents indicated that they would like to see more transparency in Santa Fe. And I think it goes back to our earlier discussion when we talked about the budget. If there's transparency, it makes their jobs easier. If they know what's in the budget and they don't have to go search through 100 records and and talk to, you know, 10 or 15 people, but they can get the information and it's presented in a 
a format that they can read and understand and and digest well then transparency works for all of us and right they don't have to go and talk to a staffer at the legislative finance committee you know figure out exactly what's in the budget this year and you know that's one of the things about the inspection of public records act it's for all of us it's not just for lawmakers it's not just for city officials it's not just for the media it's for all of us so that all of us know what our government is doing isn't that the bedrock of democracy is that we have the right to know what the government is doing There's been a lot of talk recently about the Children, Youth, and Families Department, a department that has long struggled with a number of issues. I think House Bill 10 was looking to reform some transparency issues in that department. Can you tell us about those and what became of HB 10? HB 10 was a bill um, sponsored by... uh, uh, Representative Marianne Matthews, who is a former um, Dixon recipient, which would have opened up information concerning children, um, specifically children that were um, in either the state's custody or a client of CYFD. And it would have opened up information that would allow the public to know when, when things were happening. Right now, um, we're one of the only a few states that doesn't disclose a lot of information about what's going on in, in CYFD. And the sponsors of this bill, I think, felt that if we could open up CYFD, maybe we could prevent some of the things that have happened that have actually resulted in harm to children. That bill had a, a robust reception in its first House committee. And then again, it was one of the bills that was overtaken by uh, events. And so um, it was not it was not passed. Um, The bill actually had uh, it was basically information sharing and it was intended to provide more openness and transparency. And um, it was a complicated bill. You know, disciplinary about state employees is never easy. And um, again, but it's one of those things that I think it is a it was a worthy effort i think that it will probably come up again probably not the next session but after that and i think um that uh you know it was the first step and again a lot of times bills do not get past the session past the house past the senate in their first outing and this was one of those bills that had its first outings and did not get out of what? You do think that its its passage would be good for everyday New Mexicans? I do. Um, and it was interesting to see the, the people who were actually, who had gone up to Santa Fe, and it was an early morning committee meeting, who had made the trip up to Santa Fe and were up there to testify um, in favor of the bill. And not only were there citizens and advocates such as the fog folks, but the head of the department itself spoke out in favor of this bill. And so maybe even though it didn't pass, maybe they'll make some internal changes. You can always hope for that. What other transparency issues are going on around the state that New Mexicans may want to know about? I know you guys field about 
400 to 500 calls a year. So slow days are few and far between. And as you said, uh, many of those go to you. What what kind of transparency issues should should we know about? Well, yesterday I had a caller to the hotline and he had a concern. He'd asked for a record from the city of Santa Fe three and a half months ago. And they had um, followed the procedure, but they told him his request was overly broad and burdensome. And that was quite a while back and he still hadn't heard anything. And he reached out and said, can you help? And so I asked him for a copy of his his complaint. Um, I looked through it and everything, saw that, yes, the dates on it were three and a half months ago. And so I wrote a letter to the Santa Fe records custodian for the city of Santa Fe. I copied the city attorney, the newspaper, and of course sent a copy of the letter to the, the caller asking, you know, what was the holdup on this, this request? Um, it's three and a half months old. Could you provide either some information on why it is still not been fulfilled or could you give us a date on when it will be fulfilled and um i heard back from the i sent i sent an email that the letter via email to all the folks involved and uh about an hour it wasn't quite an hour because i timed it on my phone <laughs> um the caller called me and said that he had um received the records wow so that's just one request you know and not even an hour and you know the the IPRA was was um, enacted to provide the public with access to information that the public owns. It was de- designed to allow the public access to the greatest possible information regarding the affairs of government. That's right out of the act. And one of the things I pointed out in my letter is that his, the office hadn't provided information on what made the request excessively burdensome or broad or any information on when the records could be requested. And in the letter, I also reminded the folks that in 2019, District Judge Brian Beachfield ruled that the Santa Fe Department of Public Safety was in violation of IPRA and ordered the, the city to pay the records requester $75 a day for which totaled over $4,000, as well as legal fees. Isn't that very common, though, for records custodians to just call something overly broad and burdensome and not explain why? And so that is my question for them. Why? You know, that is what I always go back to. Tell me why it's overly broad and burdensome. Is the records custodian on vacation? Have you got a temporary employee in there? Have you got a new person who's learning to do it? Have your machines uh, that do the redaction on videos, et cetera, shut down? Are you having Are you a problem a victim getting of ransomware? Yeah, I, I ask all those questions. And so I, you know, I, I follow up. I ask the questions. And sometimes there are things that have happened. Maybe the, the equipment did fall down. Maybe, you know, we're all human. Maybe the requests got lost. But if you don't follow up and you don't ask the questions, you can't get compliance. I know when I was a records custodian, I always sent my three-day letter on time. And I always tried to send everything out within 15 days. And that's so important. There were times when that was impossible only because it would take like 
five years to search through personnel records for uh, 40,000 employees. But I always made that effort. Well, and in most cases, too, what we ask the records custodian to do is ask to work with the records requester. And one of the things may be, can you narrow down the dates? Can you narrow down the names? Can you, would you be willing to accept um, the records requests in bundles? So they won't be provided all at the same time, but if we could do it on a, say a weekly or a um, every, you know, at times us, uh, a time uh, frame and give you a portion of the records during that time frame. So there are lots of ways records custodians can work with the records um, requesters to make sure that everyone gets what they need in a timely fashion. Is there anything you'd like to add, Melanie, that we haven't talked about today? You know, FOG has been around for a little more than 30 years. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We get our funding in three ways. We get it from um, donations um, from folks like you, um, bigger uh, uh, people with bigger uh, wallets and, and checkbooks. Um, we hey, what are you saying about my wallet? We have a couple of wonderful um, renters that have come and supported our work for, for several years. And then we do events throughout the year. We do uh, two main events. We have a Dixon luncheon in the fall, and we usually do a continuing legal education seminar that is geared towards attorneys, but we have a lot of other folks who sign up for the classes and attend. And that's how we bring in our, our income every year. We are lean, mean. I'm the only full-time paid person. Um, we do hire contractors for specific tasks and work. And um, that that's pretty much the, the our, our organization is structured. And we have three missions. The first mission is education. We educate people on their rights and abilities to inspect the public Inspection of Public Records Act or the Open Meetings Act. The second thing is we advocate on behalf of both laws and on behalf of the First Amendment. And the third thing that we do in those cases where we need to is we go to litigation. And just so you know, last year we went to litigation against the city of um, Rio Rancho. We won the suit for the noncompliance with the inspection of public records. That's the right. city was required to pay the, the attorney's, attorney's fee. And the lawyer for the city who had provided the very poor advice to his client really kind of got his head handed to him in public, which wasn't um, wasn't our intent. But it shows that you have to follow the law. Everybody has to follow the law. Probably this is the best time to mention that our news director, Jessica Ansudas, is uh, the vice president of the board for FOG. And, and we're so glad to have her on board. As a uh, disclosure. So I'm I'm just putting it out there. And, and um, she's been a board member for several years. She was elected as vice president this year. And we're very, very happy about that. One of the other things might want to leave you with, leave you with is some information about how people can get a hold of us. They can email us at info at nmfog.org 
or call us on the hotline. And that number is 505-764-3750. They can go to the website. It's nmfog.org. And our upcoming event next week is a no-charge boot camp training seminar via Zoom that starts at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And we do... Um, an overview of the Inspection of Public Records Act, the Open Meetings Act, and answer as many questions as we can. There's no charge to attend. We ask that you send an email to info at nmfog.org to register, and we'd be very happy to add someone to the list. We absolutely have not even talked about any of the Open Meetings Act, and maybe we should have you back sometime to talk about OMA because that's an entirely different subject. And not only is it an entirely different subject, but I've actually had some some calls from people in your area in just recent weeks concerning OMA and some of the things that have been going on um, in the city. Uh, And so um, I would be real happy to come back and chat and see what we can find out. And if there's anything else, be happy to visit with you. Thanks again, Melanie, for your time today. Damien, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate your your interest in FOG and we appreciate your membership in FOG. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A special thanks goes out to Melanie Majors from the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks to KOB4 in Albuquerque for the extra audio heard in this week's episode. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can also find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.